come on up, Nate. Why don't you uh, share with these guys something about the program? Awesome. All right. Probably all of you in here have found yourself asking those existential questions, the biggest questions in life. Why am I here? What should I do? How should I live? Where am I going? All those types of questions, the things that you think about late at night, or maybe you think about them when your friends aren't around, or maybe you even talk about them with your friends. And finding the answer to those important questions is critical because they really are the most important questions that we could ever ask. And because of that, I thought it'd be fun tonight to talk just briefly, this is going to be pretty short, about the longest conversation of Jesus's that's recorded anywhere in the New Testament. And the reason that this is so significant is he really answers those questions in this passage in the Gospel of John in chapter 4. You can turn there if you want, if you have a Bible, but you don't have to. We're going to put it up in a minute and you can follow along here. But we're going to talk about Jesus's conversation with a woman that was a Samaritan woman, and that'll make a lot of sense in a minute, it's important, that was going to a well to draw water. And Jesus drew her out with some very, very pointed questions and got to the meaning of life, the answers that she'd been looking for, the relationship that she'd been searching for her whole life. He told her that he alone could meet all of her needs, and some incredible things happened. Her life got turned around. So no matter who you are tonight, this is going to be relevant to you. It's relevant to all of us. So we're going to start in John 4. I'm going to kind of jump around, but you can read it up here. Jesus approaches this Samaritan woman, and I'm going to just mention this, going through an area that most of the, the Jews of his time would try to circumvent. They tried to stay as far away from these people as they could. And we'll get back to that in a minute. But he went specifically to this area, I think, to talk to this woman that nobody else really wanted to talk about or talk to. So let's go to verse 7 here. It says, When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? The Samaritan woman said to him, You are a Jew, and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. Jesus is promising her much more than the physical water that she was looking for. He continued, Everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water I give him will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. He told her, Go call your husband and come back. She said, I have no husband. Jesus replied to her, You are right when you say you have no husband. The fact is you have had five husbands, and the man you are now with is not your husband. What you have just said is quite true. So he's getting right into kind of like some uncomfortable stuff here with her. She says, Sir, I can see that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. Jesus declared, A time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth, for they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit, and his worshipers must worship him in spirit and in truth. The woman said, I know that Messiah, called the Christ, is coming, and when he comes, he will explain everything to us. Jesus says, I who speak to you am he. Isn't that amazing? He says, I'm the Messiah that you've been looking for. A few verses later, she returns to her city. She tells her city all about Jesus and all that he knew about her. And the Bible tells us in verse 39 here that many of the Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. 
Incredible story. And that was an abbreviated version of it. I would encourage you to go back to John 4 if you get a chance and read the whole thing. But what we see here is Christ's heart for a woman that was in a lot of agony. So many people just left her by the side. He did not do that. He met her right where she was at. So I want to look at this woman for a minute and see the the kind of woman that that Christ was relating to and talking to. So who was this woman? Who was this Samaritan woman? Well, first and foremost, she was a sinner, right? We know from this passage that she'd been in a lot of bizarre relationships. She'd been divorced five times. She was living with a guy that wasn't her husband. According to the law, according to Judaism, she was a big time sinner. Additionally, she was a Samaritan. Now, a bit about the history of the Samaritans were They were the people group that descended from the Jews that remained after the Assyrian conquest when lots of the Jews were taken to Assyria. And the king of Assyria sent some Assyrians back there to kind of populate the area. They married some of the Jews that were living there. And the Samaritans were the descendants of those people. So they didn't accept the whole Old Testament of the time. In fact, they only accepted the first five books of the Old Testament, Moses' books. And then they added in a lot of Assyrian idolatry, so these false religions. So not only is she living in kind of relational sin and sexual sin, but she's also involved in some like false religion. And so there's a lot of sin in her life. And it's easy to read this passage and to think, well, you know, we read it and she looks like a sinner, right? I think a lot of people, maybe that's their first impression of her. But we have to go a little bit deeper, too, because she was more than just a sinner. She was a sufferer, okay? Here's the thing with Moses' law that the Samaritans accepted. A woman couldn't divorce a man. Only a man could divorce a woman. So what does that say? She'd been married five times. Five times somebody had rejected her and divorced her. Made her the outcast of society. Because of that, the whole society she was living in considered her, what? Worthless. She was rejected by men. She was rejected by her own people. And then what did the larger country of Israel think of the Samaritans? They rejected them as well. She was three times rejected. You get that? Three, not just rejected by all the romantic interests of her life, not only rejected by the Samaritan people of that area, but also rejected by the people of the entire country. And of course, that country was rejected by many of the other countries of the world. This woman was suffering with tons of rejection, depending on the time scale that John was using there, because the Jews and the Romans use different time scales. But if he was using a Jewish time scale, she was going to draw water in the middle of a day at noon, which is not the time that you go to draw water on a hot day. You usually go in the morning or night. So there's a very good chance that she was going in the middle of the day to escape, to try and not be seen. She was living with shame and guilt. And that break your heart for this woman? So she is a sinner, just like all of us, and she is a sufferer, not just a sinner. But there's more to it. She's also a searcher, okay? This lady asks some of the most profound questions of Jesus. She's talking about worship and what does it mean to truly worship. And she's asking about the Messiah and when is he going to come and what kind of answers is he going to have. She's asking piercing and deep, thoughtful questions that tell us that she had researched this stuff. She wasn't just sinning and suffering and calling it good, she was actually searching for answers. And I think that's actually the case with a lot of people, right? Nobody's all bad. Nobody's just a sinner, and that's the end of the story. I think all of us are like her. We're sinners, we're sufferers, and we're searching for something more. 
When, when I was a college student, I experienced some of the, the highest highs and some of the deepest lows. Probably the biggest regret of my life I had during college. I was a sponsored snowboarder in college. That's why I picked Durango, because it was close to the snowboarding. And I went to the International Snowboarding Convention back in the spring of 1999, I guess it was. Sean White was there. He was only 11 then. I got to hang out with him, though. He came over to our booth and hung out for a while. He was already pretty famous. But it was a pretty good week up until the last night. The last night, it's big. It's crazy. All the best riders in the world are there. There's partying and stuff like that. And I literally got so drunk, I don't know how I got back to the hotel room that night. You could tell me that I killed someone that night. I couldn't tell you I didn't. I don't have any memory of that night. That's pretty bad. But what makes it even worse is I looked down at my wrist and I had a what would Jesus do bracelet on. Uh, I was a total hypocrite, right? I had told people I'm this Christian and all that stuff and then I didn't live up to what I talked about. That was one of the worst memories that I have of college. I can relate to this, this sinner aspect. I can relate to the suffering that she was going through, not because of that, but because of other things that I've experienced in my life. And I can sure relate to searching. As a teenager, I was filled with doubt, guys. I'm kind of more analytical. My degree in college was chemistry. I like thinking through facts and data, and I like to know what's really true. I'm not going to believe something just because it feels right. I want to know if it really is true. And as I investigated and searched, I found, wow, the historical, philosophical, scientific, all the evidence for Christianity, for the Bible, for Jesus, it all adds up, and it all lines up. There are a lot of people that say it doesn't, but it really does when you dig in deep. What I want you to know is I've, I've, I can resonate with a little bit of where this woman was at. A sinner, a sufferer, and a searcher. And I, like her, found that only Jesus has the answers I'm looking for. So here's what's really cool. Jesus intentionally goes to her, right? I mentioned a minute ago how most of the people of his day would circumvent the entire region. They didn't want to have anything to do with these people. Jesus chooses to go straight through this route precisely so he can have this conversation with this woman, right? He meets her where she's at. He talks to her, which is something that in his day, a Jewish man, especially a rabbi, was not even allowed to be talking to a woman like this. He doesn't, he doesn't think, oh, I'm better than you. I'm all that. He comes, meets her at her level, and talks to her. He loves her for who she is, a person made in the image of God. He meets her at her level, and then he provides himself as the answer to everything that she's been looking for. She's looking for physical water. He says, I'm going to give you living water, right? She's wondering, how should we worship? She's asking those existential questions. He tells her that God wants worshipers that will worship in spirit and in truth. She says, oh, if only the Messiah were here. You know, someday we'll know. He says, I am the Messiah. I am the one that has come to rescue you from your sin. He provides himself as the answer to every question she's asking, to every need that she has. He says, I am it. I'm the answer, and I'm going to meet you where you're at so that I can give you the thing that you've always been looking for, myself. She went from sinning, suffering, and searching to celebrating Jesus. And wouldn't you... Right? We just heard about Brandon and how he came to know Christ, how he put his trust in Christ and his life was changed. My life has been changed by Christ. So many of you in this room have been changed by Christ. And when Christ comes in and rescues us and changes us, he says we're literally reborn. We begin a new life and we can't help but celebrate what he's done in our lives. 
Because we're not the same people that we used to be, right? He changes us. He makes everything different. I have a purpose to live now. I have joy in spite of whatever I'm going through. He gives me what nobody else and nothing else ever could. And that's worth celebrating. She didn't just celebrate to herself and say, hey, that's really awesome that I found the Messiah. She went and told her whole city. And she actually did it pretty strategically. This is really cool. Imagine a person with her reputation going into town and says, hey, everybody, uh, I know spiritual truth. What do you think the town's going to tell her? You're crazy, right? They're going to say, get out of here. We know all about you. She goes and she says, I met a man that told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? Remember how I said that the Samaritans only believed in the five books of Moses? That's because they believed that Moses was the prophet. And that until the Messiah came, there wouldn't be another one. So she's telling Jesus, sir, I can see you're a prophet. She's kind of fishing around going, I think you are the Messiah. And he clarifies, yes, I am the Messiah. She goes and tells her whole town the same thing. He told me everything I ever did. She's using her testimony to relate to her people that the Messiah is here in a way that they would understand it. Isn't that incredible? And they did. We read in verse 39 that the whole town came and put their faith in Jesus because of her testimony. Isn't that incredible? So she went from sinning, suffering, and searching to celebrating Jesus and sharing him with her city. So this is kind of what I want to bring it down to today. He's the answer for you too. If you were to say, who's Jesus? We always hear that question, right? I work with college students. I'm on campus all the time. And that's a big question. Who is Jesus? We've seen even this week, people out here talking very loudly about their opinions of Jesus, other people arguing back about their opinions of Jesus, and everybody wants to know who's the real Jesus. Well, let's look at what Jesus says about who Jesus is. How about that, right? Jesus said it for us. Do you know there are 10 things that Jesus said, I am this, that, and something else? Did you know that? He tells us 10 statements about what he is. And here's what he says. In John 8:58, and they're all from the Gospel of John, which is where we just read. In John 8:58, Jesus says, I am. Sounds like kind of a statement that needed to go on, right? Like, you are what? <laughs> well, the reason he said that was because the people were literally asking him who he was, and he made a reference. He said, before Abraham was, I am. Which, in the Old Testament, if you remember, this is how God referred to himself. Jesus is equating himself here with God. And we know that's not just an accident because they picked up stones to try and kill him after he said that because he was making himself equal with God. So the first statement that Jesus says is, I am God. Pretty bold statement, right? I am God. He also says in 15.1 that I am the vine. Okay? Just like a branch of a vine can't do anything on its own, we can't do anything without him. We can't exist without the nourishment that we get from him. He says, I am the light, right? In this world, we stumble through the darkness. Jesus said, if you follow me, you won't be stumbling through the darkness because I am the light of this world. Right? Pretty incredible thing to say about himself. He said, I'm the good shepherd. If you follow me, you're going to go through hard times. You're going to go through trials, but I'm going to lead you through all of it. I'm your good shepherd. He also said, I'm the bread of life. Whatever you need in life, what you really need, I'm the one that can satisfy it. Just like he promised spiritual living water, he also said, I am the bread of life. He said, I'm the door in John 10. Right before that, he talked about how only he can offer the abundant life. And he went on to talk about how only he is the way 
to God. And he says, I'm the door. And I'm the only door. He says, in fact, anybody else that claims to be a door is a liar and a thief. (laughs) Pretty bold statement. But he says, I'm the door to God. I'm the door to salvation. After that, he says, I am the way. And he actually says, I'm the only way. He says, I am the truth. And he says, I am the life. And this one really gets me because one of the biggest doubts I ever had was death. Like, what's going to happen when I die? Jesus says, I'm the resurrection and the life. Not only did he say that, but he backed it up by actually conquering death. See, a lot of people have said, if you follow this method or this religious system, you can have eternal life. And guess what? Those people are dead. Jesus said, if you follow me, I will raise you up at the last day. And guess what? He's not dead. (laughs) He proved that he could make this kind of claim. And guys, the historical evidence, I don't know if you've heard this, the historical evidence for the resurrection is irrefutable. We can have confidence that Jesus conquered death, and he'll do the same for anyone that follows him. We're celebrating Easter in like a week and a half. I hope you celebrate like never before with that knowledge. So here's kind of what it all comes down to. Jesus says that he's all that stuff, and either he is or he isn't. In fact, C.S. Lewis wrote the Chronicles of Narnia, their movies now. He also wrote a lot of Christian stuff. And he said that either Jesus was a liar, a lunatic, or Lord. You don't make those statements and just claim to be a prophet or a good teacher. (laughs) If you're going around saying you're God, the light of the world, the only way, the only truth, the only life, the resurrection, if you go around talking like that, either you're lying, you know that you're not that stuff, but you're saying you are, so you're a liar, or you actually think you are, but you're not, so you're a lunatic, or you are what you say you are. C.S. Lewis tells us there's no other option. Jesus can't just be a good teacher or a good prophet. He either is or is not all that stuff that he says he is. And C.S. Lewis says every one of us has to make a decision. Is he or is he not what he says he is? If he is, that changes everything, just like it did for the Samaritan woman, just like it did for Brandon. That changes everything, just like it did for me. And that's the question that we each have to wrestle with. So I want to tell you how the Bible says you can follow this Samaritan woman's example, how you could follow Brandon's example, how you could experience what I've experienced. The Bible says God loves you dearly. In fact, just like he sought this woman out that everybody else rejected, and he went out of his way to try and meet her. He, he went right in the face of every cultural norm and said, I don't care, I want to talk to this woman and give her hope. That same God loves you that same way. And for some of you, that's why you're here tonight. He brought you here so you could hear his message of love and forgiveness and life. Okay? He loves you dearly. Not just all people generally, but you specifically. He loves you with an everlasting love, the Bible says. His thoughts for you outnumber the sand of the seas. He loves you more than you could ever imagine. He loves you more than you love yourself. He loves you more than your mom and dad love you, your girlfriend loves you. He loves you more. And That love isn't just a feeling, a fluffy feeling. He loves you enough to put your good above his own. And the reason that I can say that is because he demonstrated it with actions. It wasn't empty talk. In fact, the Bible says you and I are sinful. We're selfish. We all are, right? None of us are perfect. My sin, the Bible says, separates me from a perfect God. That makes logical sense. I'm not perfect. He is perfect. How can we be together? Right? He would cease being perfect if we... We're together. Some people say, well, why can't God just snap his finger and, you know, pretend like you didn't sin? 
Well, he's also just. (laughs) Does that make sense? God couldn't be God and not be just. He'd be unjust, and we all hate injustice, don't we? God sees sin, and he says, sin is evil, it's horrible, and it really does separate people from, from me, and it can't just be left that way, because I am just. So what does he do? In order to meet his justice and have relationship with you, he pays the price that you could never pay on your own. He comes to this earth, lives a perfect life that none of us ever could, dies on the cross, the death that all of us deserve, and not just the physical death, but the separation from God because of our sin. You know what the Bible says he did with the record that was against you? Actually, in the Greek, that was a legal term, the record that was against us. All of our sin, it was like a long record in court where you go to court and they say, X, Y, Z, you're, you're, you're in the slammer. You're done, right? Jesus took that record that was against us, and the Bible says he nailed it to the cross. Isn't that wonderful news? Now, I have a choice to make. I can stand before God and say, I'm going to just try a little harder, go to church a few more times, and maybe that'll be good enough. Well, it's never going to be good enough. Those are good things to do, but it'll never get me into heaven because I still have so much bad. Jesus says, or you could take the free gift that I offer. I died for your sins. You could say, I accept your payment. I'm done trying to pay on my own. I accept your payment. And I ask you to be my Savior and Lord. He says, if you do that, he'll come into your life. He'll give you spiritual rebirth, a new life. Not the old one. In fact, he says if you're in him, you're a new creation and the old is gone. All your regrets, all your shame, they're covered by what he did for you. And he says if if you're at that point where you want to say, yes, Jesus, I want to put my faith and my trust in you. He says you can do that. It doesn't take working up to it. I talked to a guy recently. He said, I'm just not good enough yet to make that choice, to to take that step, right? And I said, I heard something a long time ago. I didn't come up with this, but I heard you don't ever have to get cleaned up to take a shower. I said, that's really cool. I said, you don't come to Christ because you got it all together. You come to Christ because you don't, (laughs) right? You come to him and you say, I am what I am. I'm a sinner. I'm a sufferer. I'm a searcher. I am what I am, and I need you, a Savior, to forgive me and to come into my life and to take this steering wheel that I've held on to for so long and to take over my life and to make me the kind of person you want me to be. I can't promise you anything, but I'm going to ask you to, to change me. And you know what? When you take that step, he really does. He's done that to a lot of you guys in this room. So I'm just going to stop right now, and I'm going to pray. And I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand or come up here or anything like that. But I'm going to pray. And right now, if this is where you're at, just agree with me in prayer, okay? Dear Jesus, I know that you are who you say you are, and that you are the answer to all the questions that I'm asking, that you alone can meet the needs that I have. I know that I'm a sinner that needs a Savior. I need you to forgive me. Jesus, please forgive me. Thank you for dying on the cross for my sins and for rising again to give me new life. Please come into my life, be my Savior and Lord. Change me and make me the kind of person that you want me to be. Amen. You guys, if you prayed that prayer just to recite a prayer, it's nothing. But if you prayed that prayer sincerely putting your faith and trust in Christ because you want him to be Lord and Savior of your life, then he really came into your life. You might feel different. You might not. Either way, it doesn't matter. The reality is if you really put your faith and trust in him, he's in your life. 
The next thing, guys, is if you already know Jesus, just like this Samaritan woman went back and won her whole city for Christ, guess what? You can win your city for Christ. You guys have a city here called UNM. 30,000 people. It's actually like twice the size of our city. So it's like two of our cities. But if you know Jesus, if you have a relationship with Jesus, he put you here for a reason. In fact, in, in the book of Acts, in chapter 17, verses 26 through 27, Paul says that he determined the times and the places that you would live so that the people around you would come to know him. Isn't that amazing? So that's my encouragement. If you already know Jesus... Make it your ambition to win your city for him, just like this woman that we studied tonight did. Okay, so that's basically all I have and the two questions that I want to leave you with. Now, I want you to do something. In the middle of your table, there are some white papers and some little pencils. Okay, on there, go ahead and write your name. And if you made a decision tonight to put your faith in Jesus Christ... I would love for you to check the box that says, I began a relationship with Jesus Christ tonight. And we're not going to go tell everybody who you are or anything like that. But me or uh, Brandon that was up here or one of our wives, Anne is back there, Brandon's wife. My wife is at the hotel with our three little kids right now. One of us will get in touch with you personally. We'll text you or email you, whatever you want, and help you take your next steps with Jesus because we want to be there for you. So if you made that decision tonight to begin a relationship with Jesus Christ, put a check or an X in that box and let us know that you made that decision. If you want to learn more about Jesus or talk more about Jesus, check that box. Well, guys, the reality is that Jesus came to this woman that was a sinner, a sufferer, and a searcher. He upended her world, sought her out, loved her. She went from that to celebrating him, trusting him, and winning her whole city to him as well. And that's my hope for you guys, that you do the same. Thanks so much for listening.